May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. One time, Donna, who is our office administrator, um, had the soil sampled in our flower gardens out there. Um, Donna is the force behind our beautiful flower gardens at the church. And she noticed that the flowers were not flourishing. They weren't growing as they ought. So she, she had the soil, some soil, taken to a nursery where they analyzed it. And if you're a gardener, I, I'm not a gardener, but um, I, I looked this up online, that you know you can have your soil sampled at the nursery and they can determine the acidity level, the pH level of the soil. They can determine how many uh, nutrients are there and what kind of nutrients. And then they can help you um, amend the soil based on, on that analysis. And the purpose of that test as I read, is that you can make improvements to get optimum plant growth. And that's what happened in our flower gardens out here. Improvements were, were made for optimum plant growth. Wouldn't it be nice to have a test for our spiritual health? Wouldn't it be useful when we go through seasons of spiritual dryness or disinterest? Or when our love for God and other people grows cold, wouldn't it be helpful to know what's going on and what improvements can be made that can lead to spiritual flourishing? Be nice to have such a test. Well, the good news is our Lord has given us this test. In the parable that is often called the parable of the sower and the seed. And in this uh, parable, Jesus teaches us that the spiritual test to measure where we are at with God is how we receive the Word of God. The Word of God is the seed. Our heart is the soil. And the indication or the uh, revelation of how we're doing is how we respond to the seed, to the Word of God. And Jesus, in this parable, he talks about four different types of soil, four different types of spiritual conditions, four different types of hearers of the Word of God. You have the, first of all, the unbelieving hearer. The unbelieving hearer. These are folks who, they are exposed to the Word of God. They hear the Word of God being preached. They read the Bible, perhaps, but like seeds thrown on a hardened path, it doesn't penetrate. The seed, the word, just scatters. And uh, that's the image that Jesus uses here. He says those who do not believe are like the soil on the path. And in Jesus' days, it wasn't uncommon for there to be a path growing right, going right through the heart of a field. And, of course, these paths would be well trod with people and animals and carts. And so the, the soil would get compacted and hard. And the farmer is throwing the seed and some of that seed would fall on this hardened path. But it wouldn't sink into it. It wouldn't penetrate. And that's how some people hear the word of God. 
They hear it, but it bounces right off. And Jesus says that one reason why this is the case is that we have a spiritual enemy that does not want us to believe in the Word of God. There's a spiritual enemy at work, Jesus says, the devil. This is not some guy in a costume, with a red costume with horns and a pitchfork. This is a spiritual enemy, a personal being of great spiritual power who hates God, who hates people, who hates the truth of God. And he's at work creating resistance to the word of God in the hearts and minds of people. Maybe today he's at work overtime. There are people when they, they hear God's word, again, whether it's through preaching or reading the Bible, some exposure to the word of God, all sorts of skeptical questions begin to rise up in their hearts. Did Jesus really say these things? Did he really do these things? Did the church just make this up as some sort of power grab? Why should we trust this ancient book in our modern times? What relevance does this book that's thousands and thousands of years old have to do with us? These skeptical questions can emerge and create resistance to belief. And, and those questions, by the way, are good questions. They, they need to be answered. They need to be wrestled with. If you have questions like that, that's great. Questions do not destroy faith. And I would be happy to talk to anybody about those kinds of questions. But the issue is, are those questions coming from an open heart or a closed heart? From a place of resistance or openness? And the Lord warns us here that there is a spiritual enemy at work who creates this kind of resistance to the word of God. So you can have people who believe or who hear, but they don't believe. And in that case, there's no opportunity for salvation, much less spiritual growth. Because Jesus says that the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. We're saved by believing the Word of God. That's how we're reconciled to God. By receiving His Word and all that He's done for us in Jesus Christ. So the first, the first uh, condition that Jesus addresses here is the unbelieving hearers. And then He talks about emotional hearers. Those are people who hear the Word and He says, Receive it with joy. Or that could be translated with gladness, but they have no root. So that while they believe in a temporary fashion, they eventually fall away, is how he puts it. They fall away because they have no root. And you see, there were people in Jesus' day, and Luke even mentions it here, that there were great crowds that followed him. Great crowds were following him from town after town. And um, they were excited to hear Jesus' word. Because Jesus was an astonishing teacher. He taught with great power and authority. And they said, not like our religious leaders. This is no ordinary preacher, no ordinary sermon when they heard Jesus preach. 
He taught, he taught with a power and an authority that they hadn't seen or heard before. And then, of course, Jesus performed great miracles. In fact, after this, in Luke 8, He heals Jairus' daughter, raises her from the dead, a 12-year-old girl, from the dead. That got people's attention. He performed great miracles. He preached with great power. He fed um, a crowd of thousands with five loaves and two fish. They came to him to see the signs and wonders to be healed of their disease. You give people free health care and free food, they're going to come out. Great crowds followed Jesus. But in John chapter 6, after Jesus had performed the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, it says that there was a crowd the next day that came to him. And they wanted more of this miraculous bread. And it says that they believed. And they wanted to receive more of this miraculous bread. But then Jesus said to them, You're here because I fed you this bread. But what I really want to give you is the bread that leads to eternal life. And in order to get that, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. You must take me in to your very life, the very center of your life. And he's pointing to his sacrificial death, ultimately. What they're going to need to receive in order to have eternal life. The bread that gives them eternal life. And John says in John 6, 66, that when people heard that teaching, many of those who claimed to be his disciples turned away and no longer walked with Jesus. They were temporary believers, which in my view means they weren't genuine believers in the first place. They were spurious believers. Because it doesn't matter how you begin. It matters how you end. Do you have a faith? Do you have a belief that perseveres to the very end? And so they didn't have a deep root that would sustain them. And they fell away during a time of testing. What does it mean to have no root? Jesus says they had no root. Well, I like how Alexander McLaren explains it. He says this. The gospel had not penetrated their nature, their wills, and their reason. They had an emotional response to the gospel. They were glad. They were joyful to hear the powerful preaching of Jesus and to see the miracles. And we ought to have an emotional response to the good news of Jesus Christ. God has given us emotions. And it's good and it's right to be emotionally moved by Jesus and the gospel. But it's got to be more than that. It's got to penetrate, as McLaren says, to the reason, to the will, and to our very nature. It's got to go deep in the heart. remember talking to a man one time who was interested in the church and had heard the preaching and was inspired by it. And so he started coming to the church and we talked and had some conversations about what it meant to follow Jesus. And he had been, again, inspired 
by what he had heard. But then we started to talk about what it meant to be a disciple and to follow Jesus. And the areas in his life where there needed to be obedience. And the areas of his thinking where there needed to be some conformity to what Jesus actually said. And when he heard those things, he said, I don't think this is for me. And he went away. Now hopefully he's come back somewhere else. But that was an example. That's an illustration. You see, the word of Christ had not penetrated his reason, his thinking, and his will, his actions. So the test comes to all of us. The trials come to all of us. The question is, do we have roots deep enough to sustain us during the trial? It might be the call to die to self in order to live to Christ in obedience to Him. The test. It might be a season of severe temptation and doubt and difficulty of all manner. And in those times, we need, I need, more than feeling, I need roots that cling to Christ because the word has gone deep in the heart. The third group are what I'll call worldly-minded hearers. Worldly-minded hearers. Jesus says they're like the soil with the thorns. They hear the word of God. Things look promising for a season because fruit is beginning to be produced in their lives. Positive Change is starting to take place. You can see the buds on the flowering plant. You can see the green tomatoes on the vine. Things are happening. It looks good. But it doesn't lead to mature fruit. It doesn't mature, Jesus says. And why? Because he's, he says, as they go on their way, they are choked by three things. Three types of thorns. Three species of thorns here. The cares of life the riches of life, and the pleasures of life can choke out the word of Christ. Let's talk about those for a moment. The cares of life. That could be translated the anxieties of life. Anybody here anxious? Anxious about money. Anxious about your health. Anxious about your children. Anxious about your job. Anxious about the news. Anxious about the ministry. All throughout our life and through every season, there are things that we can be anxious about. And the problem is, if we get so focused on the things that we're anxious about, we can take our focus off the one who can give us peace in the midst of the anxiety. And we've become so obsessed with the things that we're anxious about that we lose a taste for spiritual things. What are we to do with our anxieties? Here's the prescription. Cast your cares upon the Lord. Why? Because He cares for you. We do have a God who cares. And as we're anxious, Paul says, that we can offer up our, our prayers and petition to the Lord with thanksgiving and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace will come. Sometimes we have to fight for that peace. 
Have you seen that in your life? Cast your cares upon the Lord because He cares for you. Jesus talks about another kind of thorn that can choke out the Word of God. And that is riches or wealth or abundance, material abundance. Remember what Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount. That we have a choice. We can serve either God or mammon. God or money. But He said you cannot have two masters. You will be a divided person with divided loyalties. You will love the one and despise the other. Eventually you've got to determine who you're going to serve. As Bob Dylan sang. You've got to serve somebody. And Jesus says you can't serve both God. You cannot live. You cannot make it the goal of your life. To be wealthy and also to live for God and His kingdom. Now, you can be wealthy, of course, and serve in the kingdom of God with your wealth. But that cannot be your idol. That cannot be your master. Jesus teaches. What are you to do if you have great wealth and abundance? The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, he charges the rich with this. 1 Timothy 6.17 You're not to be haughty. You're not to be prideful because of your wealth. And he says, you're not to set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who has given you this wealth. The same God who gave you the ability to make the money can take it away just like that. Can take your life away. So don't be prideful. Don't set your hope on what God has given you. Set your hope on God. And then the third thing he says in 1 Timothy 6 is that you are to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share. God has blessed you to bless others. And that is the antidote to becoming prideful and Making wealth an idol. Generosity. So Jesus warns about those who just live for wealth. That can and does choke out the spiritual life. And then he says there are the pleasures. Here's the third thorn he talks about. The pleasures of life. The pleasures of life. We get our word hedonism from this word in Greek. A hedonist is somebody who makes the goal of their life pleasure. Pleasure in this life. And um, Christianity teaches that the goal of life is to, as the Westminster Catechism says, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The hedonist says, no, the goal of life is to enjoy the pleasures of this life. The question we face is, will we live for temporary pleasure in this life? Or to please the eternal God. Because you can't live for both. That's one of the thorns that inhibit true spiritual growth in Christ. The pleasures of this life. And so Jesus here mentions three types of hearers. Three types of soil. Three types of responses to his words. That do not lead to salvation or produce spiritual fruit. And then finally we come to the fourth hearer. The fourth 
condition here. It's the good soil. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Let's look at that verse carefully. The action involved here of hearing the word of God. Holding it fast. Number one. That means to keep firm possession of something. To keep firm possession of it. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our faith without wavering. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. We're to hold fast to the confession of our faith without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. That's an important word, isn't it, in our day? of deconversion, deconstruction, decline, that we as followers of Christ are to hold fast to the confession of our faith, to hold fast to the Word of God. And he says, they hold it fast in an honest and good heart, in in their heart. The, The Word has penetrated the heart, the very center of their life, those who bear fruit for God. And they bear fruit with patience. And this word patience means it's the characteristic of somebody who is unswerved from his purpose and loyalty, even in the greatest trials and suffering. That's the mark of somebody who has taken in the word of Christ. They're hanging on to it. It's at the very center of their heart. And they're holding it with patience. They bear fruit for the long haul, even in the midst of difficulty and trial. Friends, Jesus is so gracious. In some ways, this is a hard teaching. But in other ways, this is a gracious teaching. Because Jesus does not leave us on our own to wonder about our spiritual condition. But he gives us this test. This is a fundamental parable of Jesus. It's in the three Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The Synoptic Gospels. And it comes at the heart of, as Jesus is teaching, because he wants people to know that how you respond to his word is an indication of what's going on in the heart. And he's gracious to do this for us. We're not left to our own to wonder what we're doing, how we're doing. The purpose of the parable is not to leave us where we're at. The purpose of the parable is to tell us how to grow. You know, when we got that soil test from the nursery, the results didn't come back. Sorry, your soil's in bad shape and there's nothing you can do. The test came back with advice on how to improve. Advice on how to amend the soil so that there can be fruitfulness and growth. So that these plants can flourish in the way that they're intended to. And it's the same way with the word of God. This parable here is not meant to lead to despair. It's meant to lead to growth. There's been seasons in my life where thorns have choked out what God wants to do. There's been things that have distracted me from the word of Christ. There are things now in my life, there are thorns that threaten to choke out the work that God wants to do in me. I need to hear this parable. How about you? Are there things in your life? Are you taking time Each day to hear the word of Christ. And to get the word of Christ into your heart. I was thinking 
in, 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 a, in a, as I thought about this, how, how we might apply this. And I was thinking, you know, we have four months left to the end of this year. We got four months left. Can you believe it? There are four Gospels. What if, if, if taking the word of Christ, reading the Gospels is not part of your daily life? What about this? From here until the end of the year, you go through a Gospel a month. That's not too much, is it? To read a Gospel a month, to listen. There are all sorts of programs out there that you can listen on your phone to the Word of God and get it into your heart. And allow the word of God to sink deeply into the center of your life. And hear what Christ is saying to you through his word. That's how growth happens. Now, it probably would be dereliction of duty if, as an Anglican minister, I did not mention Queen Elizabeth in conclusion. <laughs> I might get run out. You might contact a bishop. The world has been mourning her death. And um, part of the reason is the kind of person she was. She was a great example as a, as a leader. And a rare, increasingly rare example of a leader today. She served with diligence, humility, and dignity. And with Christian virtue. And I was reading about her faith. And there's an, uh, there's an author named, uh, I think it's, his name is Dudley Delfs, I think is how you pronounce his last name. But he wrote a book called The Faith of Queen Elizabeth. And he went through her various speeches. And you know how she did these talks on Christmas and she would talk about her faith. Well, she mentioned back in 2000 about the influence of the Bible and the word and example of Christ in her life. For me, the teachings of Christ provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. That was 2000. And then a little later on, she said this. As she got older, she got a little more vocal. What greater inspiration and counsel can we turn to than to the imperishable truth found in this treasure house, the Bible? 2016. Billions of people follow the teaching of Christ and find Him the guiding light for their lives. I am one of them. Christ's example, she said, helps me to do small things with great love. <laughs> the Queen talking about doing small things with great love. Why? Because of the example, the teaching of Christ. It had penetrated her heart and there was fruit. As a result, may God help us to follow her words and witness so that we might bear fruit for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would help us to be fruitful disciples for you. To take your word into the very center of our life so that it might bear fruit for your glory. The world is in desperate need of faithful disciples of Christ who will hold fast to our faith in times of difficulty and trial. We pray, God, for your Holy Spirit to strengthen us and give us the grace to do it because we cannot do this in our strength. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand?